My title of the study today is Jesus Seeks the Sinner, taking from Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Jesus, at times, he, he loves to give parables to the multitudes and to the Pharisees. And this morning, we're going to cover two of those parables. So I want to read to you the, the passage that we're going to go over, and then we'll dive into it. Let's begin with verse 1. It says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness? And go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise, where there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So as I'm looking at this study this morning, I, I see that Jesus is seeking out the sinner and he searches for us. Not that he doesn't know where we are. But this is an anthropomorphism. It means that it helps us understand how much he loves us. That he sovereignly designs our life so that he can reveal himself to us. And when I think about things that are lost, I think about this one time when me and my family went to Hawaii. And we were at the beach and having a great old time. I took my surfboard out and I was like, yeah. And I went out there and it was like amazing time. And as I was coming back to shore, I'm paddling back in. I had a great time. I'm looking at my family, and I see distress in my family's faces. There's like confusion and, and insecurity. And as I get closer, suddenly they start to tell me, we lost the keys to the rental car. And I'm not going to mention which sister of mine lost the keys, but one of my, they lost the keys to the rental car, and they were looking all over for it. So much so that some of my siblings began to look at some of the, the beach bums who were there, kind of like cricket, like, did, did they still our keys? And my parents were looking everywhere, and they were looking around. And then, strangely enough, even like uh, a couple of the beach bums started a fight, and they were, my parents were going crazy, like, what's going on? And we were looking and looking, and they were, we looked everywhere through the car. And finally, when we were giving up, we had already called, I think, I think the company told them, we lost your keys. Uh, my brother-in-law was closing the trunk of the car and the keys were in the trunk of the car. The ignition of the key to unlock, they were just hanging there on top of the trunk. 
the whole time. And it was like, oh my gosh. And, and we, were, we all thought my, uh, th- that it was the end of the, the trip at that point because sometimes the emotions, they build up. And, and that which was lost was found. And that's something special when you find something that's lost. Right? You guys have experienced that before. You lose a wallet. You, you, you lose some jewelry that's special to you. And it's like, man, that, that feeling. And it's something that really... It's probably just going to burn away and it has no e- eternal value to a point sometimes. But the way that Jesus seeks after us is we are something that to him is so special and so important. And, and he desires that we become to him so much more so than our desire to find those keys that day. Let's look at verse one in our study. It says, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. These tax collectors. This is a Bible study. What we, what we study here is we study even the culture of what was going on in that time. When you, when you see a tax collector, this isn't like your modern day tax collector. These tax collectors were employed by Rome in Israel. So we had the Jewish nation and Rome had occupied Israel. So Rome was governing over the Israelites. And what they did was in order to collect taxes from the Jewish people is they set up their own brethren, some of the Jews, to collect the taxes from the people. They didn't want to do it themselves. And they would give those tax collectors special treatment. So the Caesar would hire these Jews. And then what ended up happening is the rest of the Jews who looked at Rome as this dictatorship above them, they hated the tax collectors because they saw them as traitors. They're like, like, why are you guys going against us? We're your brothers. And yet you're working for the Roman government, taking our money and taking extra money than you're supposed to take. It's kind of like for us, I was trying to think of an illustration that that was during World War II. It was like during World War II when Hitler... He set up in the ghettos for the Jews. He set up his own Jewish police. And he would give them a little bit of special treatment through the Nazi Germans. But those Jewish police made sure that all the other Jews were kept in line. And they were actually sometimes even more cruel than the Nazis were. So because of that, the Jewish people hated them. And then... These type of people, the, the hatred that, that is now being thrown at them, we see that. And then we also see another type of person. We see the sinners. We see tax collectors and sinners are now coming to Jesus. They're drawing near to hear him. These are people who are devoted to sin. Now, usually in life, when we see people hanging around a certain crowd, it's usually guilty by association, right? If it walks like a duck, it smells like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Now, every, there's, a, there's an instance when I see that all these sinners are coming to Jesus. It, it reminds me of something. It reminds me of the Old Testament with King David. When King David wa- was, was on the run from King Saul, at the time he wasn't king yet, but when David was on the run from Saul, he had this leadership quality about him that he would gather men, any type of men to himself. In first Samuel chapter 22, verse two, it says, and everyone who is in distress, everyone who is in debt, 
and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. So David had this leadership quality about himself where all of a sudden all these ragtag Montley crew type characters, like probably like the bikers, like the Mongols or something, were now starting to hang out with King David because he had this leadership quality to him. And oftentimes in life, sometimes that's who the Lord brings us. Sometimes in, in our ministry, your personal ministries at work, at school, wherever it is, and, and you're desiring to, to love on people, Sometimes he brings you those tough people to deal with and they get under your skin and you're like, I don't want to deal with this person. But those are the people we're supposed to be ministering to and loving on them. In verse two, before I get to verse two, this leads me to my first point of my study today. Point number one, and Jesus receives sinners. In verse two, it says, and the Pharisees and scribes complained saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So the Pharisees, they're the religious leaders of the time. They were kind of like the modern day Pope at the time, but they were for the Jews. And the scribes were the people who made sure that everyone was following the religious laws that the Pharisees created. So they were also called lawyers. But this is what they did, is they began to take the place between God and man. So in the Old Testament, you had the prophets, right? You had Moses. He would speak God's word to the people, and the people would receive God's word. That continued on until the time of of the Pharisees. But then what the Pharisees began to do is they began to say, everyone look at me, look at how holy I am. I'm your way to God. And they began to take the place of savior when they weren't savior and they weren't ultra holy either. They were actually, they were actually wicked. So the Pharisees didn't like Jesus because Jesus began to say, I'm the way I'm the truth. I am life. No one comes to me. No one goes to the father, but through me. And the Pharisees hated this. Now, some people feel like the Pharisees, where they think they have the ministry of correction in their life. They could see what's wrong in people, and it's my calling to correct and change this person. Or if you're dating someone, they're like, it's missionary dating, and I'm going to change them. That's not true. We don't do missionary dating as believers. Now, when you have that mentality of you're just trying to correct people all the time, really what you're turning into is someone who's judgmental. You're turning into someone who thinks that they would do things better if they were in that person's shoes. And Jesus warns us against that type of judgment. There's a judgment that's of discernment where we need to be able to discern who a person is. But then there's the type of judgment that wants someone to be condemned, that is is full of hate. We need to be discerning with love. And, And sometimes people see themselves as the spiritual police rather than spiritual paramedics. I think we we need to be more focused on restoring people to God rather than just trying to condemn people all the time. 
or, or thinking we're so much better than everyone else. Because we're not. We're all sinners in this room. I'm a sinner. So just, I, I stand here and give you guys the word, but that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm perfect. One of the, the lessons I always encourage people in is don't look at man. Look at God. Look at Jesus. Now, the Pharisees, they felt, because they saw all these sinners now hanging around with Jesus, and they saw them eating with him. And in their mind, they felt that to be holy meant you didn't hang out with sinners. Yet Jesus, what's he doing? He's right there in the midst of them. Now, Jesus, he would receive sinners, but it didn't mean that he would partake in their sin. He would give them truth and love. So we need to have discernment with our friends, with who we allow in our life. Because it's so much harder to pull someone up than it is, and it's so much easier for them to pull you down into sin. So we need to be discerning with our friends who we are allowing into our life. In verse 3, after Jesus, he knows that people are judging him. It says, so he spoke this parable to them saying. Now, whenever we hear the parable, that word, a parable is an earthly story illustrating a heavenly truth. And, and Jesus often spoke in parables many times. And one of the reasons why I like to share stories with, during a study is because I could see when people start to drift, drift off into NASA airspace. I'm like, I got them. I got the, the focus. And all of a sudden, people are like, they're gone. So one of the tricks, or it's not a trick, one of the, the tactics that teachers will use during a sermon is, this, okay, let me put a story right here. Because people, for some reason, we love stories. We want to hear the stories. It helps us to understand the study better. Jesus used parables this way. In Luke chapter 8, verse 10, it said, And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So he wants to give those who are spiritually open to truth more understanding. And to those who are opposed to truth, he doesn't want them to understand it. Continuing in verse 4 of our study this morning. It says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? This leads me to my second point this morning. And Jesus pursues sinners. Now, we sang these songs about the shepherd and how God is our shepherd, right? And I I look at the illustration of shepherds back in their time. They would be constantly around their sheep, guarding their sheep. And if they were good, they kept care of all of their sheep. Because if you lose something that's important to you, you're going to look for it. Now, ministry right here, it doesn't end in these four walls. Jesus, he wasn't always in the synagogue. He was doing ministry with all his sheep, and he would, he would seek after them. He would receive them. He would pursue them. Look at verse 5. 
And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. See, this is the closeness that Jesus has to his sheep. You know, you realize that we are his sheep. And now if you look at sheep, they're actually really stupid animals. It's kind of funny. If, if one of them, if they're hanging around a cliff, jumps off the cliff, the other sheep will be like, ah, like they'll follow after him and be like, what are you doing? And they're like, all right, let's try it. And then the next one will fall, fall and he'll die. And then eventually they'll, a bunch of them will just keep following and they'll keep going. And I think eventually it starts to get like into this soft like cushion. So the next ones, maybe at the end, they don't die. But they're not very smart sheep. They need someone to watch over and to protect them. They're also, too, they're, they're not predators. When the wolf comes after them, they're pretty much helpless. The ones that are in the middle of the group maybe will survive, but on the outer ring, they're, they're gone. They're toast. They're lamb chops. So they need a shepherd to watch after them. Now, as the shepherd, he takes that sheep back. He's rejoicing. And he then goes to his friends. Look at verse 6. It says, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. Now, this kind of seems at this point like a, a bit of an exaggeration, or I should say an overreaction that a shepherd is doing here. Because... He's calling all his friends and all his neighbors together. And he's like, I found the one sheep that was gone. And in reality, most of us would be like, okay, cool. Like, right on, dude. Like, you found the sheep. Like, we got a hundred over here too. You could have just went after one of them. But there's a reason why there's an overreaction here. You see, because in heaven, the joy of our father, when he receives us, when a sinner is saved, is we cannot fathom God's love of how much rejoicing there is over that father who receives back his child. This is leading me to point three. Jesus rejoices over sinners saved. And we know this by the next verse. In verse seven, I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So here is the explanation of the parable. And I love that Jesus gives us that explanation in this one. Because sometimes Jesus gives us parables and he doesn't explain them. We have to try to figure out what he was saying. But this time he gives us the answer. God doesn't just find a sinner. But there's action that is taking place here that we can see. It says over a sinner who repents. See, there needs to be repentance. Now that's a hard thing for us to hear at times because we don't want to think that we're wrong. We, we live in a, in a society that we're, we're a perfect society, right? Everyone's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm perfect. I don't need anything. I'm always right. No one can tell me that I'm wrong. But that's far from the truth. And, and the awesome thing that, that I love about my God is he still accepts me even with my flaws. The Bible even teaches us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died to save us. 
this idea of repentance, what it means, it's you're walking on a line, you're walking on a path. And to repent means you turn around and you begin to walk the other way. It's a literally, it's a change of mind. Now, as believers, as we grow in the Lord, we're going to notice that you, you don't become sinless. You're never perfect, but you do sin less. You do sin less and less as you grow in the Lord. And it's funny too, because then you begin to repent more and more. Because you guys have your Bibles this morning, I want to give us an even deeper understanding of how Jesus is our shepherd. I want us to turn to Psalm chapter 23 in the Old Testament. We sang all about it today, about how God is our shepherd. In Psalm 23, David wrote this psalm. David was a shepherd. He was someone who looked after his sheep. Who at times, if a bear would come to attack his sheep, God was with David to fight a bear, to kill and slay a bear when the bear was trying to attack his sheep. And King David learned what it was to be a shepherd and he realized that that was the way that God was training him and also God himself was protecting him. In Psalm 23, beginning with verse 1, It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We could stop right there. With Jesus, he's everything we need. We get so caught up in in what we think we need in this life and all the pleasures of this world that we think are going to fill our heart. But God purposely created us with the desire to seek him. And only God can fulfill that need. And this leads me to my fourth point this morning. Jesus in our blessings. See, there's contentment in God. When you allow Jesus in your heart, he makes you content. Because you were created for a purpose. You were created for a specific reason here on this earth. You have a mission. Like James Bond was set on a mission or something. But you specifically have a mission on this earth and only you can do it. Now, if you then begin to, instead of fulfilling that mission that God has given you, try to do all these other things in your life that you think are going to fulfill your needs, you're going to be discontent. You're going to be anxious and and striving in your flesh to try to fulfill those needs. Yet God has a, a plan for your life and he wants to reveal that plan to you. So when you seek him, he will show you that plan. Continuing in Psalm 23, look at verse 2. It says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, through seasons of blessing, we recognize all good things come from Christ. The the food and the water that, that is still that David is talking about. I see that God can meet our needs physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. This is a, a restoration of the soul that Jesus gives us rest when we're in Christ. In Matthew 
chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. I believe this is a, for sure, it was a word for me this morning, and I believe that this is a word for you guys, for someone who's out there who is in heavy labor. They're just going to and fro, trying to do this life, and they're working hard. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke was the contrapment that they would put on the oxen as the oxen were fulfilling their duty of keeping the agriculture straight. Jesus is saying, look, the yoke that I want to put upon you, the calling that I have for your life, because there is a calling for your life. When you're in Christ, it's easy and it's light. So if you're right now in a, in a place where you're stressed out all the time, where you're anxious, number one, are you in Christ? And number two, if you are in Christ, are you then allowing things in your life that are extra that God hasn't called you to do that are creating you to become stressed? Those are the things we need to stay away from. Let's look at Psalm 23 verse 4. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You see, fear is crippling in our life, isn't it? Have you ever been in a situation where you're so afraid? I remember in, in junior high school, they, they sent us uh, to Big Bear. Uh, kind of like a little science trip. And the little, all, all of us junior high kids, they, there was a, a night where they, they took us out into the dark, into the woods, into the forest. And they had this long walk that they wanted us each individually to just walk by ourselves through. And me, even in junior high, I was scared of the dark. I was like, oh man, it was sixth grade though, so have some compassion on me. <laughs> and I was scared of the dark and I was like, okay, like, I guess I'm just gonna walk through, the, like, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm a big boy now, I'm on, I'm on this, trip by myself. My parents aren't here. I can handle this, you know? And I start walking through the dark and there's no, you, they, they made it so long that, and they would send them one by one. And it's just a straight thing. Like they were pretty, pretty safe with us, I think. <laughs> but it's just a long straight path. And at the end of it, then the leaders are there and the rest of the kids, and that's all you find. It's just dark, this forest. But I remember walking through that path and this verse in particular came to my mind, even as a little kid, and I didn't even know the full verse. All I could remember is, yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I think it actually made me a little bit more scared because I didn't know the whole verse. I was just like, I was like, dude, like, and I was just kind of freaking out. So I was like, all right, just, just stay calm. We could do this. And we walked through it. But I, when I look back at that, I'm like, man, I, I, I think that the reason why the leaders were doing that was specifically as like a, a mental training for, for kids to like grow and to be able to look. There's sometimes kids who are afraid of the dark. They know this and they want to see them overcome their fears of being alone, being by yourself. And David realized 
that the Lord was doing this in his life. That sometimes he's alone. And sometimes it feels like he's literally walking in the valley of the shadow of death because people were trying to kill him. So he says this, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff. This leads me to my fifth point this morning. Point five, Jesus in our trials. Jesus in our trials. You see, for the shepherds, the rod is different from the staff. There's these two instruments. The rod was used for defense and also for correction. If a sheep was getting out of line, they go swack, and then bam, you know? Or if there was an animal that came and tried to grab that sheep, he would use the rod at times, like a baton, to make that wolf go away. And the staff, oftentimes, that had a hook on it so that they could pull, pull sheep out of a pit. I just saw this video recently of how stupid, I guess I could say stupid, how stupid sheep are. Or there's this little sheep, and someone said this is how pastors feel sometimes. And there's this little sheep, and it's running, and there's a a little, uh, like kind of like a moat or a ravine on this little side of a cliff. And the sheep falls into it, so the the guy, the shepherd, comes, and he's pulling the sheep out. He's in there, and he pulls it out. As soon as he gets the sheep out, the sheep like is like joyful, is like running, runs in a circle, and jumps right back into the hole that he was just pulled him out of. And it was like, oh my gosh. And that's, that's what happens in our walk sometimes. Right when God pulls us out, we're set free from bondage, from fear, from anxiety. We're like, yes, we're free. And then all of a sudden, this little image or something we see just makes us go, like, oh my gosh. And we go right back into that pit, that hole that Jesus just pulled us out of. You see, God is in our trials still. Jesus is there with us. Even in the presence of our enemies, God is providing for us. That's what David was talking about, preparing a table before him. Now don't use this verse and, and say it to your neighbor today as you're going to eat that the Lord has prepared a table in the presence of your enemies. We're brothers and sisters here. That was a sad joke. But <laughs> Now there's going to be seasons of trial in our life. David wrote this, and he experienced the, those valleys. Remember, David is the guy who fought Goliath the giant. David was the man who King Saul chased him, pursued after him to kill him. And then later on, even his own son, once David was king, his own son rose up against him, created a rebellion, and tried to kill his father, King David. And then one of the worst trials that David had to endure was his own condemnation. David messed up pretty badly, didn't he? He sinned with Bathsheba. He had, he had an affair and committed adultery with Bathsheba. She got pregnant. In order to hide her pregnancy, he killed her husband and then married her like so no one would find out. But Nathan, sent by God the prophet, told David, hey man, you have, what you've done isn't hidden from God. And, and David had to repent from his sin. With this, we see that in our, in our trial, even David learned to be content in the Lord. That God has a plan. That Jesus is molding and shaping him. In verse 5, 
You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Now oil is symbolic of the spirit and the anointing of God's servant. We see God's provision here. So he ends the psalm by saying this, surely goodness, in verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the Old Testament, the word for mercy was interchangeable with the word for love. Goodness and the love, the loving kindness of God is following after David. And this is the hope of eternity with Christ. That he was going to be in the Lord's house forever. That when we pass on from this life and on to the next, when we are in Christ, when we are in Jesus, when we are his, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Point six of my study this morning. In Jesus, our good shepherd. In John chapter 10, you guys don't need to turn there. I have the verse up on the screen for you. John chapter 10, verse 11 through 16. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. See, what I realize is God doesn't want hirelings in his ministry. He doesn't want me to come here and and teach you guys just so that I can be benefited. And if the benefits aren't coming and I just leave because I'm like, well, there's no benefit in teaching God's word. That's someone who's a hireling and I don't want to be that. I want to be someone who cares about the sheep. See, God is our good shepherd and he's just entrusted me to teach you guys the word, to feed you guys the word. Now there's people in your life who God has also put underneath you. People you are to care for. People you are to speak truth to, to light to, to awaken their soul, to awaken their spirit. And are we fulfilling that mission? Because I have to warn you guys that there is a wolf out there. That Satan is real and, and he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your children's lives. He wants to tear your family apart, your marriage apart. Because he doesn't want you to serve God. In verse 14 of John chapter 10, Jesus again says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I'm known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. See, Jesus knows you. He loves you. And even when we're sinners, he loved us and wanted to have that relationship with us. Let's continue in verse 8. A second parable that he gives. He says, or what woman, sorry, back in Luke's gospel, chapter 15, verse 8. He says, or what woman... Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, 
does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, if she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I lost. You see, there, there is a rejoicing with Jesus that we have. Which leads me to my last point this morning. Point seven, rejoice with Jesus. When I think of this woman who, who lost that jewelry that was so special to her, actually the coins that were so special to her, but if you look back in their culture, coins were actually used for jewelry at the time. It reminds me of, of, of a time I actually lost this piece of metal right here that is very special and dear to me. I lost it. And it, I, I told my wife right away, I would say, hey, I, we, went, we went out to eat. We went to Raising Cane's down the street on a, on a Saturday night. The next morning, I usually uh, have my ring when I, when I come to, to church, but that morning I couldn't find my ring. And we were running late to church. So I was like, okay, we're going to have to look for it later. So we, we left the house. We came here. I had my, my other one on. I got two. And then, uh, and then we came here and still couldn't find it. And I was like, okay, it's probably at the house somewhere. It has to be. We go back after church. We go back home. We take a nap because we're tired. We're always tired. <laughs> we take a nap. We take long naps, by the way, like, like four or three, four hour naps. <laughs> and then after we wake up, now it's already, it's nighttime. And I realized like, okay, we need to find that ring. Like that, we, we need to find it. And, and we start looking throughout our, our room. We start looking throughout the house and the car. I cannot find the ring. And I could see the fear begin to kind of build up in my wife. Where she's like, dude, like, we have to find that ring. Like, and I, I too was like, I, I want to find it too. Like we were both looking and I was like, okay. Like, and I could see it. Like she was like, I could see the, the her heart was already breaking. Like she was like, I gave him that ring and he doesn't care about me. He lost it and he just threw it. I'm kidding. She, <laughs> she didn't say that. But we, it's, it's already time. I got to start heading to bed now. I have work the next day. And so I was like, okay, look, we're just going to pray. Okay, we're going to pray that the Lord would help us find this ring. Now, this is the first time that this has ever happened to me. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not someone special, okay, but I want to just share this story with you guys. That I prayed, like, Lord, just help us find the ring. And I get in bed. I'm going to sleep. I'm, like, this close to, like, being knocked out, like, just passed out asleep for the next day. And suddenly, as I'm laying there in my bed, kind of half asleep, half awake, I could just see this image of my wedding ring underneath my bed next to one of the posts of my bed. And I was already almost asleep, and I literally, the lights off, I get up. Lisette was already, uh, she was gone. She was at working the night shift that night. I get up out of bed. I, I turn on the light because I'm like, okay, God, like, why am I seeing this in my mind right now? Why am I seeing this image? I get up, I turn on the light. I look under the bed right where I saw it in my mind, and the ring is right there. It's just sitting there. And I'm like, what the? I grabbed the ring, and, and I knew, like, if I would have saw my ring just hanging out by my bed posts underneath my bed, I would have picked it up. So there was no way that I saw it 
and just was like, oh, like, yeah, it's just my ring on the floor. No, I would have picked it up. The Lord gave me for the first time ever, like, I'm, this, like this isn't the usual. This isn't normal. This is a miracle where the Lord showed me a, a vision of where that ring was. And I saw that. And then I called Lisette right away. I was like, dude. I call her dude sometimes. She's okay with it. You're not going to believe what just happened. Like, dude, I had a vision. The Lord showed me where the ring was. And I looked and there it was. Like it was right where I saw it in my mind. And she rejoiced. And there was like joy found over this precious jewel. So he says in verse 10, look look at this. We're going to end here. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. So when a sinner finds repentance, there is a party literally going on in heaven. So this is the importance of someone coming to the Lord, especially if it's for the first time or they have no relationship with God. There is room for repentance for the believers, and, and, I, and I often pray for that in our, at the end of our service, where if someone wants to get right with the Lord, that they would get right with the Lord. But there's also that type of repentance where someone has never experienced Jesus in their life before, where they're walking up to the altar for the first time to accept Jesus. And when that happens, there's a party in heaven. They're rejoicing. That's how much God loves you. That rejoicing, that little bit that me and Lisette experienced rejoicing over that lost wedding ring, God has that way more so when we come to him. So that's why during the altar calls, I I encourage you guys who are believers, who are saved, pray for those who need to repent in that moment. Pray that the, the Holy Spirit would draw them in so that we can rejoice alongside with Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.